0: Welcome to worship here with us in Bigger and Blackmount churches. We're not together in the church building, but we can still join our hearts in worship together. We're just about midway through Lent, and sometimes Lent feels like a struggle, especially if you've given up something for Lent or you're a minister and you're trying to get everything prepared for Holy Week and Easter before the deadline but someone said something to me the other day that made me stop and think. They said, grace means not so much that we journey towards Easter, but that Easter comes to us. We do nothing to deserve what Jesus did for us on the cross or what the Father did in raising him on the third day. It's all a free gift of grace that comes to us. Our part can only be to accept it in faith. This year, it's not just Lent that we're struggling to get through. We're all holding on to get to the end of these restrictions that this pandemic has brought upon us. And God says in this too, trust in my grace, I will come to you. Zechariah the prophet gives us these instructions. He says, Rejoice greatly, shout, see, your king comes to you. Rejoice greatly, shout, see, your king comes to you. Let's let that verse be our watchword as we wait with anticipation for the coming of our God this Easter. But also into eternity. Our first hymn is a paraphrase of Psalm 121 I to the hills. Let's sing together. Let's approach God in prayer. Lord God, thank you that your grace means that you come to us. Thank you that your grace means that we don't need to search for you. We don't need to reach up to the heavens to be with you. Thank you that your grace means that in Christ you have come to us. You've come into the neighborhood and you've set up your home right here in our midst. Help us, Lord, to rest in your grace and to wait patiently for all the ways you promise yet to come to us. To wait as the watchmen wait for the morning with joy and expectancy. Lord God, in this time of worship, we ask you to speak through your word read and preached and sung. Strengthen us in our waiting. Give us light for the road ahead of us. We pray now the family prayer of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much to folks who sent in photos of flowers and of lambs, which you saw at the beginning of the video. I'll put them up again after the benediction in case you missed them. I know some people have been making Rocky Road, like I asked you to do last week, but I think you ate it all before you could take that photograph for us. It was that good. Here's a cartoon that covers much of the story in Exodus that we've been looking at these last few weeks, and also the bit that we're going to be thinking about this morning too. Let's watch.
1: The Faithful Hall of Fame, Moses. This is Moses, who was an Israelite born in Egypt in a time when Israelite boys were not supposed to live. Wait, huh? Moses, however, grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh, the very man who was enslaving the Israelite people. When Moses grew up, he made a big mistake. So Moses ran away from Egypt, the land of Midian. Ah. After many years, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses ah, and told him to go back to Egypt to free the Israelites. After much protesting, God granted Moses his brother Aaron to speak on his behalf. So Moses went to Egypt and on his way there, he met Aaron who was ready to do whatever God wanted him to do. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, but God had a special plan for Moses. (laughs) After rallying God's people to them, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has said. Let my people go. Uh-huh. Sure. And Pharaoh made the Israelites work harder because of this.
2: Hey, where are you? Uh. Huh?
1: The foremen of the Israelite slaves were angry with Moses and Aaron for causing this trouble. Uh, uh, so Moses cried out to God and asked why this was happening. But God said, you will see what I will do. I am the Lord. I will deliver you from slavery. Wow. Uh, okay. Hey. Moses told this to the people all right, all right. But they were so discouraged that they didn't listen to him. Yeah, whatever. God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and to do exactly as he said. So Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh. Hey, Aww. God told them to take the staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. Huh? Pharaoh was not impressed. <laughs> he called his wise men and sorcerers and they did the same thing.
3: <laughs>
1: but Aaron's staff swallowed up the sorcerer's staff. Huh? Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. Shoo, shoo. Just as God had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the banks of the Nile River and meet Pharaoh.
2: Hey, Pharaoh. um
1: Moses and Aaron did just as God had said. But again, Pharaoh's magicians did the same miracle, and Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. (laughs) So God sent nine more plagues to Egypt to show his power. Even with all the suffering, Pharaoh's heart stayed hard, and he would not let the people go. On the night of the last plague, Pharaoh woke up and heard a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house in Egypt where someone was not dead. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and told him to be gone with the Israelites. So the Israelites left Egypt immediately and made their way to the Promised Land, taking with them many riches from Egypt, and they took Joseph's bones as they had promised him many years before. But after they had gone, Pharaoh changed his mind and readied his army to take back the Israelites. When the Israelites saw Pharaoh and his armies come, they were terrified. (laughs) but God made a way for them. Through all of this, the Israelites saw the great power of their God, the one true God, and they put their trust in Moses, his servant. Joyful,
2: joyful. Joyful, joyful.
4: is from Exodus chapter seven and eight, reading from the NIV version. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old in Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is why the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch it. Stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile and all the water was changed to blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up unto your palace and into your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and onto your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with the staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the water, waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things as their secret, by their secret arts and also made frogs come up on the land. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honour of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron had left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses and in the courtyards and in the fields. They were piled into heaps and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses tell Aaron stretch out your staff and strike the dust on the ground and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this and then Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground gnats came up came on the people and the animals All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the Egyptians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and the animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses says, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians and if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must make a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart. And would not let the people go this is the word of the lord
0: thank you Mari, for reading for us let's pray as we turn to reflect on god's word lord god thank you that your word is living and active that it cuts to the very heart of us and it exposes there what is not right But it also gives life lord we pray that it would do that for us this morning for we pray in jesus name amen before we continue i'd uh, like to apologize last week i made an error i said that 80 years had transpired since moses fled egypt to when he returned to confront pharaoh It had, in fact, been only 40 years. He's now 80 at this point in time. And his brother Aaron is 83. This morning we continue our exploration of the book of Exodus. Last Sunday we concentrated on the Israelites in chapters 4, 5 and 6. And we looked at how, though they were chosen by God as his unique people with a unique purpose. They seemed to have forgotten who they were and what they were meant to be about. And this caused them a great deal of existential angst when they found themselves in trouble with Pharaoh. They had perhaps thought that since God was on the move, he would go to bat for them and prevent anything bad ever happening to them again. And yet, when God shows up, They find themselves being required to make bricks without straw. They find that they are in even more trouble than before. And we concluded that God had planned for them something they could barely conceive. God had planned something that they couldn't conceive of because of their mindset. That mindset of Egypt that had got into them. They could only conceive of God making things a little more tolerable for them in Egypt. But in actual fact, God was there to set them completely and fully free from all the powers that oppress them, powers without and powers within their own hearts. The character of Moses in that bit of the story too is instructive. We didn't look at that last week. Once again, with poor Moses, that bit of the story is a story of failure. When Pharaoh reacts the way he does, Moses is just as confused as the people he is meant to help, rescue and lead. Moses does all that God asks him to do. Well, almost all. If you compare the instructions to him at the burning bush with what he ends up doing on his return to Egypt, there are some glaring omissions. We won't go into that today. That's a whole nother sermon. But when we compare this failure of Moses to the one that happened 40 years before when Moses had first fled, there is one very important difference. Whereas before, after failure, Moses fled, Here, after failure, Moses goes to God. To be sure, he goes to God complaining. But he does go to God. Moses is beginning to realize that the task before them is not first and foremost his. It's God's. Moses knows that God has called him. He knows that God has promised to be with him and that God is ultimately in charge. Moses is now so trusting in God and his promises that he can freely complain, lament, and ask questions. God does not get angry at this. God merely corrects Moses and guides him as to what is to happen next. As we look at this morning's passage I don't, however, want us to concentrate on Moses, or even on the Israelites, but on the two main characters that seem to go to battle with one another in this dramatic part of the story, namely God and Pharaoh. This bit of the story, through this struggle between Pharaoh and God, has some very profound things to teach us. Okay. God and Pharaoh, locked in an epic battle. Let's look at Pharaoh first. Who is this Pharaoh? Well, we know he is king of Egypt at the time. Thanks in no small part to Joseph and his administration for another Pharaoh centuries before, this Pharaoh is perhaps the most powerful king in all of the known world. This king was not a benign monarch. He was an autocrat. He had absolute power. And from the text so far, we see that he uses his power ruthlessly against the Israelites and most probably against others as well. Pharaoh owned all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh enacted all of the laws. He collected all of the taxes and defended Egypt from invaders as the all-powerful commander-in-chief of the army. In ancient Egypt, there was no division between religion and politics. A king like Pharaoh was considered to be a god. Here's a, a picture of a much later Pharaoh, Tutankhamun. You've probably heard of him, King Tut. You'll see that on his crown there is a snake, a cobra in fact. This was called a Urias and it symbolized the belief that the gods Re and Amon united upon the brow of Pharaoh to give him sovereignty over all the world. As we pointed out before, the text doesn't mention the name of this king. He's just plain Pharaoh. And as far as the story goes, that, I think, is highly significant. Pharaoh is not just an individual man. Pharaoh is an archetype of a pattern of rebellion, human and spiritual, that we find throughout the Bible. Pharaoh and Egypt, which he represents, is Babylon in Genesis 11. Pharaoh is Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And he is the beast in the book of Revelation. And God deals with Pharaoh as he deals with these others. But here we have a more extensive account of how God deals with his opponents. So, God in the story. What do we know about him? What do we see of him in this drama? He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So he has said many times already, but we are told several times also that what God is about through his dealings with Israel, Egypt, and Pharaoh is to reveal more of himself than he has done up until now. What does it say in verse in chapter six, verse three? I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Suggesting that God is now ready to reveal his name and nature. God knows Pharaoh has a hard heart. He's told Moses that several times before in in chapter 4, and he he says it again here in verse 3 of chapter 7. God knows Pharaoh is not going to easily give Israel up from his captivity. I think it's quite clear, therefore, that God must have another agenda than just releasing Israel from bondage. If releasing Israel from bondage was his only purpose, certainly God would have gone to the last, most effective plague first and been done with Egypt. No I think God's primary agenda here in this story is to let people know who he is. God's primary agenda is to reveal himself. So what does this whole drama of plagues and to and froing with Pharaoh teach us about who God is? Well, primarily it teaches us that God is sovereign. Now that's not a word we use in everyday language. But what it means is that God is in overall control. The plagues of Egypt reveal that God is in control of the natural world. With the four plagues that we have in our two chapters this morning, we see God in control of the waters, and in control of the frogs, and in control of the insects. And if you're interested, can I recommend a a book that is all about the miracles in Exodus and how a believing scientist sees them? It's a book written by a Cambridge physicist named Sir Colin Humphrey, and it's called The Miracles of Exodus. There's a link to that book in the description of this video. But not only is God sovereign over the natural world in this drama, he is also sovereign over the affairs of humanity. And God is even sovereign over Egypt and this king who rules it and believes he is ruler of the whole world. At the beginning of our passage, God's sovereignty is displayed in a startling and dramatic way. Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh for the second time, but this time the text says they do just as the Lord commands them. Pharaoh asks them for a miracle and Aaron throws down his staff, just as God said he should, and it becomes a snake. But the Egyptian sorcerers through their secret arts are able to do the same with their staffs. They throw them down and they become snakes. They become a whole army of snakes against the one snake that Aaron has put down. But immediately Aaron's staff turns snake swallows up all the others. Do you see the significance here? This, indeed, was the first sign that God gave Moses at the burning bush. It was not just a wonder, as Jane told us two weeks ago. This changing the staff to a snake was a sign, and it was to signify to the Israelites in Egypt that God had power even over the despotic regime that held them captive. The snake, which was a symbol of Pharaoh's political and military power that was there on his crown, is swallowed up by a poor shepherd's crook. It's interesting that here and with the two other plagues, the river to blood and the multiplication of frogs, Pharaoh's sorcerers are able to do the same things that God through Moses and Aaron do. We aren't given any indication as to how they might have done it. It could have been some sort of trick or it could have been through some dark spiritual power they were in touch with. We don't know. But it's also interesting that though they are certainly powerful, there is a limit to their power. As the story goes on, they are unable to produce the other plagues in the same way. They're unable to produce the gnats, and they stop trying after that. But even more significantly, Pharaoh's magicians might be able to turn a staff to a snake, or turn water to blood, or seemingly produce frogs from thin air. But Pharaoh's magicians can't stop Any of the plagues. They might be able to start them, but they can't stop them. When Pharaoh wants the plagues to stop, he doesn't go to his magicians, but he summons Moses and Aaron, and he asks them to pray to God to stop the plague. And God does so immediately. Although Moses is never asked to show Pharaoh the second sign given to him at the burning bush, it too was symbolic of God's sovereignty over Egypt. You remember the second sign. It was the hand and the cloak coming out leprous, going in again and coming out clean. To the Israelites, Egyptian culture with Pharaoh at its center with Pharaoh at the center, the one from whom and to whom everything flowed was a contagious disease. As we said last week, Egypt had got into them and infected them. The Israelites lived in terror of Pharaoh, but they could not conceive of being free from him. But by this sign, God shows that he is able to cure them of the seemingly incurable. It's interesting that as the story progresses, as the plagues multiply, the Egyptians themselves start to show signs of being cured from Pharaoh's grip on them too. In chapter 8, verse 19, even the magicians of Pharaoh acknowledge the supremacy of God and they presumably begin to question Pharaoh's persistent rebellion against God. In chapter 9, some Egyptians in rebellion against Pharaoh heed Moses' warning and protect their animals from the hailstorm plague. In chapter 11, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 36, we're told that the Egyptians in the end were favorably disposed to the Israelites and they gave them gifts as they left the country and in verse 38 of chapter 12 it says that many other people ended up leaving Egypt with the Israelites on the exodus presumably they were Egyptians and other enslaved people over whom the spell of Pharaoh's sovereignty was now broken because of these plagues. The third and final sign that Moses was given at the burning bush corresponds with the first plague that God brings upon Egypt, that plague of the river Nile turning to blood. This plague struck at the heart of Egypt's very existence, its economic life. The Nile Basin was what made Egypt such a prosperous nation even though it was surrounded by desert. Unlike other nations, Egypt did not depend on rainfall. According to an an ancient inscription, the Nile was the father of life and the mother of all. The river was consistent. Every year it, it flooded and receded at just the right time, leaving rich soil in which to plant crops. And because of this, in Egypt, the river was worshipped. It was the manifestation of the God Happy, the divine spirit that unceasingly blessed the land. And to threaten to destroy the Nile was therefore to threaten to destroy Egypt itself. And this too, the Lord showed, he could do. Though through these signs and plagues, God powerfully shows himself to be sovereign over every aspect of Egypt, its politics, its culture, and its economy. Still, Pharaoh resists to the bitter end. Now next week we'll go on to explore the ins and outs of Pharaoh's hard and hardening heart as we further explore this part of the story of Exodus. But for now, as we prepare to respond to God's word, let's sing together the song, Sovereign Over Us. God revealed himself in powerful ways as the sovereign Lord there in Egypt to Pharaoh and to everyone else. But the New Testament's contention is that God revealed himself even more fully when Jesus stepped onto the scene. Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God jesus was the same god who appeared to moses at the burning bush jesus was the same god who produced those awesome signs there by the nile river jesus was just as sovereign over nature over the storm on the sea of galilee over diseases over the material of bread and fish over the spiritual powers and over the affairs of human beings, and indeed over death itself. I have met this Jesus through the Gospel, and I hope that you have too. I've been baptised into his family. But I wonder today if there are areas in my life Where I have resisted God's sovereignty, where I have resisted God's control, I wonder if there's any area of my life where I might not have realized that there is and there are other forces in control. Areas where I haven't let Jesus be Lord of my life. And I wonder if you are the same as me. And I wonder if you'd come with me now and take these questions to God in our prayers. Let's pray. Lord, in lots of ways I live in my own Egypt. And there, there isn't just one Pharaoh, but lots of them myself included lots of pharaohs vying for sovereignty over my life and these pharaohs can often be as cruel as the one way back there in egypt they can be as cruel as willing to throw precious children into the river to satisfy their own ends they can be as cruel as to demand that i make bricks from straw for monuments that will only crumble to dust. Lord, by your spirit working in me and in the world around me, I ask you to expose the fact that though these pharaohs seem so strong and though their words sound so true, they are nothing compared to you. Lord, by the light of your gospel and with your strong right arm, set us free. Set us free from the pharaohs in our hearts and in our world. We live before you now situations in our world where pharaohs are more than metaphorical. We pray for Burma, Yemen, Syria, and Hong Kong, especially today. And we pray, Lord, set your people free. We pray for folks in hospital and at home struggling with acute or chronic illness. And we name particularly Margaret and Grace today. Lord, set your people free. We pray for folks missing loved ones either through death or through distance today. And we pray, Lord, set your people free. We pray for everyone, everyone fed up by this virus and the necessary restrictions that we live under. And we pray, Lord, set your people free. We pray for those who have not yet come to know the liberation that knowing you as Savior and Lord can bring. We bring before you members of our own family, friends, and even our enemies who don't yet know you. And we pray, Lord, set your people free. Thank you, Lord, for your promise. Your promise that one day you will set all of creation free. And set it free into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Lord, help us to work and wait with eager expectation for that day. For we pray in and through the strong and sovereign name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our final hymn is led by our friends at New Scottish Hymns. It's the hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Let's sing it together.
3: Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode on the rock of ages founded. What can shake thy sure repose With salvation's walls surrounded Thou may smile at all thy foes See the streams of living waters Springing from eternal love Supply thy sons and daughters, and all fear of one remove, who can faint while such a river ever flows, their thirst to assuage grace, which, like the Lord the Giver, never fails from age to Habitation hovering i mm-hmm.
0: As we end, let's receive God's blessing. Brothers and sisters, you do not belong in Egypt. The Sovereign Lord says go. Walk in freedom as you learn to serve me and one another. In the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. Amen.